0: Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen.
1: Hey there, welcome to the show. I'm sitting here trying to watch Twitter for thing coming out of the investigation, the inquiry. Uh, you know what I was thinking? Uh, I was thinking that we are all under such a tsunami of news uh, these days that, I guess I can only speak for myself, that you you reach a point at which you really can't even take it in anymore. I, I, I mean, I find like... I'll look at a newspaper. I feel like every story I'm reading i've read before i nothing nothing particularly seems compelling um, like there's a part of me, always a news junkie since I was a kid that has gone numb <laughs> something and Somebody said something to me last night, a stranger, uh, you know, wow, you sure got a lot to talk about these days. And I thought, yeah, I got a lot, and I got nothing. It's like... Overload, I guess, huh? Is that what it is, overload? And... um. I've really been struggling with whether or not I've hit a wall here and and just can't do this anymore. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, But I – anyway, I plod on – what? Somebody sent me something that says good news? I'm going for it. Hang in there. Hang on. Yeah. Okay, this is a story about um, the guy who um, had the gall to try to help uh, people, right? Is this the one? Wandering in the desert, uh, trying desperately to get to this country who went to to give food um, to uh, refugees. Uh, who was arrested, right? Is this what this is? Uh, Anyway, the headline is Attempt to Criminalize Basic Human Kindness Fails. (laughs) Um, This uh, humanitarian and activist, Scott Warren, has been found not guilty on all charges. I I did see that. And, of course, this is a Trump administration going after a guy who was only trying to save lives. They threatened him with 10 years in prison and the jury was not having anything to do with it. The criminalizing of compassion. There you have it. Donald Trump and Stephen Miller's America. The criminalization of compassion. So this was... uh, this happened on Wednesday, yesterday, and it was a jury in, in Arizona that uh, said, Eh-eh. this guy did not harbor undocumented migrants. What his crime uh, supposedly was is he had provided food and water and shelter to two men, who were making their way through an unforgiving desert in an attempt to come to that shining beacon of liberty, America. So thank you, Barbara, for that. That is nice. I am glad. I did see it. And as I was saying, it just sort of like everything goes in and then just out. Nothing sticks with me anymore. I mean, Amy was just talking about something news she saw, and I thought, yes, yes, I saw that too. And these are the things that stick. Have you seen the video of the turkey in Wisconsin who's harassing a male guy who's in a you know one of the little mail trucks that goes from you know you know outdoor mailbox to outdoor mailbox, the kind that you know you put down. You put, and this turkey is like running after his truck and, like, attacks every, every time he stops to put mail in. These are the stories that we cling to now <laughs> because everything else is just so constant and stultifying. So, that's it. I should tell you. um, I saw the Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers movie last night. It was a screening. I guess it opens. Does it open like tomorrow or something here? I think it might. Um, And I was sitting with, my friend uh, Jean Marie Laskis, who I think I told you yesterday, has written a must read uh, piece for this Sunday's New York Times magazine. So if you pick up the Sunday Times, that's the piece you wanna you wanna read um about Fred Rogers, about Mr. Rogers. And Jean Jean um and I watched the movie together. She is friends of the of the Esquire reporter who wrote the article on which the movie is based, Tom Junot, who was there last night, as was the director and the producers and the screenwriters and all those folks. But Jean, after the movie, turned to me and said... And this is a woman who knew him so well, who spent time, days and days with him, who spent time at his little Nantucket uh, home, the Crooked House, who's close, friends with him, every bit as much, if not more, than... Tom Jeannot, who wrote the movie based on his meeting of Fred Rogers. Anyway, she turned to me, and I thought it was interesting that she would ask, since I think she is the person who understands Fred the most and can translate him to others who don't get it. And she said, what I don't understand is why. What... Prompted this iconization. I don't suppose if she said that, but of 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 Fred. What she said. I mean, he had been. We all knew who Mr. Rogers was, and Mr. Rogers was well known, and Mr. Rogers was a celebrity, and Mr. Rogers. But all of a sudden, she said, "What happened? That all of a sudden he like." You know, the documentary, articles, books, there's a podcast, there's everything. What what happened? And my answer, I mean, just off the top of my head, was Trump. Trump. She considered that and thought, yeah, but... Didn't it start happening a little bit before even Trump? I don't know. And then I see in uh, the Wall Street Journal today, they're wrestling with the same question, which was weird, that Gene asked. This morning I open up the Wall Street Journal and I get this headline, The Quest for a New American Folk Hero. And Fred specifically did not want to be thought of as a hero or a saint or any of those things that dehumanize you. But even they don't quite understand. So this article talks to pointy-headed intellectual types trying to figure out the answer to the question Gene asked me last night in the theater. And they say that folk heroes like Mr. Rogers now fulfill a need and a need that we've always had and currently those needs are being shaped by this time we're living in of zero tolerance for opposing viewpoints. Because Fred famously had an open heart and an open ear to any <coughs> Especially, I think, those who were struggling, angry, hurt, whatever, which is what the movie's about. And the Wall Street Journal says that even before his death, his untimely death, Mr. Rogers was widely viewed in in simpler terms of of nostalgia, you know, sort of reduced to a red cardigan, cardigan sweater in tennis shoes. But then they point, not to Trump, they say the deeper assessment of him and his work took off with the 50th anniversary of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood last year. It certainly added to it. So I didn't know there is a podcast called Finding Fred. I don't know if the Carvel Wallace, who hosts it, um, I don't know if that's go- a good podcast, but I'm letting you know I hadn't heard of it. Um, uh, the people who uh, who look after Fred's legacy, the uh, Fred Rogers Productions, uh, are apparently uh, participating in the podcast. So they are giving this guy all the archival material and interviews that um, he would want. I don't know. As for the movie, I had trouble with it, I'll be honest. Um, And um, I think it's simply because I knew him and I have my own sense of who he is, so... I just couldn't um ever slip into seeing Tom Hanks <laughs> as his Fred. And then I I didn't the the Tom Junot character, this um this angry hurt Esquire writer who um who Fred befriends in the movie, um I didn't like him. You know, it's always hard in a movie to like. If you you can't get in, if you don't like the person. So the two main characters, I didn't like the reporter, and I I didn't I didn't see Fred. But that's my my problem, I'm sure, and uh, I don't pretend to know. It's getting a lot of reviews out now. Um, It ain't a blockbuster movie in any way. And I I don't know. Everybody, Bill Peduto was there. He talked my ear off about Pittsburgh Public Schools' failure to mind their Ledgers uh, talked about how their budget keeps going up, 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 and the quality of uh, of the education is going down. he was really, I wonder, does Bill ever just talk about? I mean, I don't know. Whenever he sees me, he just starts talking about. I mean, uh uh-huh, uh uh-huh. Franco Harris must be really tight with Joanne. I didn't realize that he was. He was there. I don't know what to tell you guys. Um, God, I miss him. And Fred Rogers is an elusive character to really... I don't know that many of us have the capacity to truly understand him. He was that unique. I really didn't I never lost my sense of a, a measure of discomfort around him because I think I just he was so different I never quite knew, I mean I was always misfiring around him always not understanding what he was saying <laughs> um Most famously, and I'm sure I've told you this, but every time I think about it, I have to laugh. Um, He was at my home. He was, I had bought, this is a long time ago, it's maybe almost 30 years ago. I had bought a massage chair, uh, a chair that you sat in, and then you pushed a button and it like. It needed your back. It did all this one, and and I said, Fred, sit there, try this, and he he sat in it, and it started doing its thing to him. And there was Mister Rogers, and who always was, so, he loved it. He was like, oh. and I I thought, you know, if if we had these cell phones, then I would have definitely like, ah, Fred. Look at Mr. Rogers, he looks practically orgasmic, you know. But you did, I wouldn't have. But that same night, he said to me in a more serious tone that he had been rereading Exodus. And how moved he had been by, by it. And I said to him, listen to this. Oh, I loved that book. I was thinking, and I went further so it was clear, I was talking about Leon Uris's novel, Exodus. Fred, of course, a minister, was talking about the Bible. And I was always misfiring with him like that because I didn't inhabit the same... His head was so different. I'm sorry if I'm, you know, between the movie and this article and talking to Gene, you just start trying to process who he was and what his message was. And I do want to say that one of the things about him that people don't know, because people see him as wimpy, Right? People see him as this, like, oh, little sweet, you know, uh, wimpy guy. I don't know that I ever knew a stronger, more courageous, more radical, more powerful man. He just didn't wear it like other people do. He was remarkable. And I I read Jean Marie's article because I think she comes closest to bringing him back. Um, I mentioned to uh, Joanne, his widow, um, that I thought Jean's piece was amazing. And she said, oh my God, she said it brought him to life for her, helped her to even mourn him. So if you want to have a sense of who he was, read that piece. It's online now, and it'll be in the print edition out on Sunday. Uh, Sondlin. <laughs> oh, my God. When I first saw him, uh, before the te- his testimony started, I was... I was I couldn't figure out his demeanor because this is a guy who was walking into um a no-win situation as far as I could see. He was either going to turn on the president, which is you know, something most people are afraid to do, or he was going to um go to prison <laughs> for perjury probably. And there he was, and he was grinning and turning around, pointing people out in the audience. And I, I never saw anybody behave that way right before one of these grueling uh, bouts of testimony. And, man, that was a guy who had decided to do what he was going to do. What he did, he saved himself. He saved himself, and he didn't damage the president as much as he could have. So there was some equivocation, I think. He started out with a bang and then sort of left with a whimper. But he got in laugh lines and uh, generally uh, it came off really well, <laughs> I thought. I don't know. I did. I mean, every witness is corroborating what we know. We know. The president himself releasing the transcript of the phone call is already acknowledged, admitted. I don't care how many times he reads off a cheat sheet that says, no quid pro quo, no quid pro quo. I asked for nothing, Asked for nothing. I mean, it doesn't matter. So now all we're doing is what? Underscoring everything, adding... Adjectives and embellishments, and the Repu- everybody's got their mind made up. I mean, it, so the Republicans have dropped back to it's not an impeachable offense. Yeah, he did it. Quid pro quo, yada, yada, yeah, Bribery, extortion, whatever you want. We're living in another reality, and uh uh. Uh-uh. Although, It will be interesting to see in the course of uh, the next months as uh, an impeachment is handed down or up, whichever direction they go, and then a Senate hearing. It will be interesting to see, see, as Ryan Dito was referring to yesterday, how many Republican senators do get uncomfortable enough to convict. I don't think enough. For sure. Um, well, okay. Everybody who's wondering why we aren't in the streets, here's an opportunity. Um, there's going to be a rally in Mount Lebanon. There you go. That'll take them down. Five thirty p.m. On the night before the House votes to impeach Donald Trump, whatever we, I guess we don't know exactly when that vote will be held, but so 5.30 on the night before. Um, there'll be folks in uh, Mount Lebanon and hundreds of other locations nationwide um, that will do a... Nobody is above the law, honk for impeachment, yada yada yadda, 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 yeah. okay? And that'll be in front of Congressman Lambs, Connor Lambs' office, which is on Washington Road. I just drove by it the other day. Um, so if you're in that area and you want to scream and yell and uh, feel like you're doing something, that would be the way to do it. Uh, Barbara asks, is Josie Carey mentioned in the movie? No. Um, is she mentioned in the documentary, yes, yes. And of the two, it's the documentary that is, if you're only going to see one, that's the one. I mean, that I've watched four times, and is wonderful. So Trump yesterday, was it yesterday that he ran off? And No, it was the day before. I mean, again, overload, can't keep up. I, I mean, where he went to Texas... And said that he was opening uh this apple uh uh plant and uh apples head what's his name, uh uh Tim what's his name? Rice was there. And um Tim Cook. I know, well, I'll tell you, you cook rice. I knew it was something. I had In my addled head, some sense of culinary something. Okay. Tim Cook was there, and there was Trump. And here's what he said. I guess he tweeted this later. Today I opened a major apple manufacturing plant in Texas that will bring high-paying jobs back to America. Here's the problem. The plant has been opened for five years. It was opened under the Obama administration. He didn't open anything. It is even not owned by Apple. It's owned by a group called Flex Limited, which I think is an affiliate of of Apple. Um, yeah. Yeah. Somebody else tweeted, Congratulations to President Trump for opening a plant that Barack Obama announced in his 2013 State of the Union address. You see, in normal times, what passed for normal times, pre-Trump, something like this, something like that, would be the biggest story. Do you remember those days? That if a president actually went to this event and didn't even know uh, what the event was, thought he was opening a plant that had been there forever or at least five years, takes credit for it when in fact it was his predecessor, the guy whose life and accomplishments he spent uh, the last ten years trying to erase, that it's, of course, Barack Obama who, if you want to credit some president for it, uh, is to be credited god but you don't even blink anymore we don't even and that's frightening i'm going to keep using that word because that's how i feel frightened we have a caller caller go ahead please
2: good morning hi hey uh um what did we think of uh, Jim Jordan? Is he a wonderful oh! human being or what?
1: Oh! Oh! God. Who's worse, Jim Jordan or Devin Nunez? I don't know. Yeah.
2: I, I, I was watching. I listened a lot yesterday. Uh. I was watching a little bit last night. And he was asking the opinion of some one of those poor people have to go up and testify and said, Do you, don't you think we've... Trump's done more to help Ukraine than Barack Obama. I'm like, what the hell does that have to do with anything?
1: What does that have to do with anything? Well, but almost like, all the, all their questions have nothing to do with are not germane because they don't have a they know they don't have a leg to stand on. I mean, it, it, I don't. He is despicable and he, you know, i mean he's the one who let a whole bunch of young men wrestlers at ohio state get molested by this uh doctor. You know about that?
2: Yeah, i know. It it it's it, we are living in such bizarre times. I where i mean the so-called moral people I, I i can't imagine where, you know, reagan would have fallen with all on. With all, of, Even Nixon would probably have a problem. With
1: oh, no, of course. No. Nixon was at least took, um, you know, took his position seriously. He tried, I mean, Nixon did a lot of good stuff in office. It was just his.
2: He was presidential. He was a he was, crazy man, too, but he was yeah, presidential.
1: Right, but no, this, the, um, this, this clown car, uh-uh. They're frightening.
2: Do you think Fulton will just say, I'm coming, I'm testifying?
1: No. I don't think he'll see the need to, and I don't think he will. And they ain't going to wait for a court to say he has to. I mean, the continued uh, absurdity of Jim Jordan and Devin Nunez and all the others saying, uh well, we're still not hearing from the people who uh you know we don't have the the people here who who can really tell us what happened it's we're not getting them because the White House won't let anybody uh testify, and the only reason they won't let anyone testify obviously is because if they do and if they were not to perjure themselves they they'd have to totally turn on the president. I mean, my God. I don't... One of the things I think... Go ahead.
2: No, no, no. I was just like, listen to these guys. We haven't heard a shred of evidence. We haven't heard a shred of evidence. And it's like, you know, know, they they just keep saying that all the time. And then, and I'm thinking to myself, these same sons of bitches would prosecute, convict, and execute somebody for murder with a lot less information. Of course. And it's just, it will go to no
1: end. I mean, it's just, I mean, y- y- it's like I understand. Yeah, I understand your disbelief. You sit there and watch that, and it's like, again, it's like you fell down a rabbit hole. Like, I, I hate to say this because, I mean, I was. I lived the 60s, and I did uh... ingest lsd on more than one occasion and i want to say last night it occurred to me you know what this is like it's like a bad acid trip i hate to tell you we're living in a bad acid trip because acid acid messes up your perception or changes it in ways and sometimes if you're not having a good time on it it can make you question you know like what Why is, what, why is that, why, and you you become just sort of terrified, and um, we're living in a bad acid trip. (laughs) Take it from me. It's because of a bunch of bad asses. (laughs) The bad asses. Yeah, God, God, help us. Hey, thank you. I've got another caller I want to slide in here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Appreciate. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Appreciate the call. Oh man. Did I mention there was a debate last night? I'll get into that. Um, hello caller.
3: Hey, Lynn, it's Jeff. Jeff. I just wa- wanted to get some stuff off my chest. Do it. And, you know it's really hard, you know it's really hard about this era with uh, Mr. Rogerson going on like you're talking about. I keep trying to like calm down and be kind and more like what what would Mr. Rogers do kind of a thing but I can't help myself. I am so goddamn pissed off. It's just driving me nuts.
1: I know. Me too.
3: This is a come to Jesus moment for true conservatives and true Republicans. These guys like Devin Nunes and Jim Jordan, they are traitors. So if your oath is to this country and not to the Republican Party, it's time to get rid of these SOBs, because it is so goddamn, How People cannot see this. You know, Jim Jordan, or Nunez, one of the two, the, the American people are smart enough to know that this is all a scam, blah, blah, blah. You know what? No. The American people aren't that smart. They're pretty goddamn stupid. They're pretty damn preoccupied with the NFL and players kneeling and any other ancillary bullshit that they can conjure up other than what's going on with the government of the United States.
1: What's going Uh, on with the soul
3: of the United States? Every intelligence agency has said that it's Russia that meddled in the 2016 election. Every intelligence agency, not only from the United States, but from across the world. But there's this conspiracy that it's the Ukrainians that did it. Now. Who, this, this, this theory that the Ukrainians did it, who would that benefit? It benefits the Russians. If you can't see, if, if people cannot see, and then you got these sons of bitches who, who are calling you, what, Stalingrad Sue and Leningrad Lin or something? Yeah. Come on, boys. Bring it, motherfuckers. I'm ready to kick your ass. No shit. I am so pissed off. This is benefit. Trump, Donald J. Trump is Putin's bitch. And if Holy. you can't see it, then you are blind or else you are treasonous.
1: You're absolutely right. It is traitorous
3: right. what these people are right. doing. Putin's bitch. So I love it. Thanks for letting me get that off my
1: Oh, certainly. <laughs> well, I get, you know, Kamala Harris last night said that, didn't she say, the president got punked. Yeah, yeah, same kind of thing. He's Putin's bitch.
3: I love it. He is. He. It, it is amazing. It, and you cannot see it. Do you remember the Helsinki meeting? Oh! The look on Trump's face? Oh, my God. And it just gets more and more. And I, I don't know if you had a chance as you're way into work or to do your show to listen to the fellow that was testifying, his opening statements.
1: I, he I was, was. The guy
3: that overheard the yes, conversation. Yes, yes, yes.
1: I listened to he's, some of it,
3: but not all. He's laying it out, too. Let me sure. tell you what. Sure. These people that are in Pompeo. Who's that little prick, the uh, little Weasley guy? Mulvaney. Maldani Mulvaney. Mulvaney. They're all traitors. And as far as I'm concerned, you know that little thing that says that treason is punishable by hanging? I want to see him hang. No shit. And I'm generally a pretty nice guy.
1: I know. You're positively Rogerian. Yeah, Mr. Rogerian. All right, you. I'm with you totally. Okay. I, I, amen to Thanks. everything you said. Thank
3: you. Thanks for letting me get that off my chest. And I, you know what? Uh, remind us all about this thing out there in Mount Lebanon or wherever it's going to be. Hopefully, it should be in Heinz Field or something, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I will be there.
1: Okay. All righty. Thank
3: you. Thanks again, Lynn. Okay. okay.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Um. Okay. There's nobody there now, right? No. Okay. Okay. So, so, um, I just, <laughs> um, Sondland, I, so they, they, they let him know in the, toward the end of his testimony that the president had, uh, responded uh, in some measure, to his testimony uh, by saying, um, I don't have the exact thing, uh, I barely know him. I don't really know the man. <laughs> what does he say? That's what he always says. I uh, I don't know. I yeah. I think I saw him once or twice. Um, oh, here it is. I've got part of the quote. Uh, Donald Trump was heard to say, um, I I don't know him very well. I, I I've not spoken to him much. Uh, this is not a man I know well. Uh, that was reported back to Sondland uh, during the testimony, and Sondland, who was just having too much fun, I still can't get over it. Uh, his response to it uh, was he smiled and said. Eh, Easy come, easy go. And then he got on his airplane and flew off to his job, which I have a feeling he's going to get yanked out of uh, pretty soon. Who knows? Um, Do you know how divided we are as a country? We are. How divided are we? We are so divided, again this from the front page of the Wall Street Journal, we are so divided that consumer research shows that never-Trumpers buy Levi's and people who like Trump buy Wranglers. I'm sorry, it's right here. They got the numbers. It says there is a more partisan American consumer culture where the red-blue divisions even drift into our shopping malls. So consumer research shows that Democrats are much more likely to wear Levi's and Republicans' uh, Wranglers. I'm just saying. And I'm just saying, you know, come to think of it, I never wore a Wrangler's. you? No, Amy didn't either. I didn't either. Levi's? Yes, I have, but I don't wear them now. I don't know. I mean, they're saying it is true. Even in the corporate world, there is now this divide where, right, you know, we were talking about Dick's sporting goods before. Uh, I think a lot of Republicans don't go in there anymore since they stopped selling, uh, you know, assault rifles. And then you got Nike doing their uh, Colin Kaepernick ads and stuff. I'm sure Republicans don't buy Nikes. And then there was Chick-fil-A, where uh, LGBTQ and and their supporters won't uh, eat their chicken sandwiches. And now LGBT and now Chick-fil-A has said they will no longer give money to uh, the Salvation Army and other organizations that are not necessarily welcoming to uh, the gay lifestyle Um, and so now the Republicans are turning on Chick-fil-A there you have it Uh, Republicans uh, are more uh, likely to uh, buy GMC and Ford vehicles (laughs) but I'm telling you Levi's Wranglers check it out whatever you're wearing I would think there aren't many Wrangler wearers in my audience, All right? I have a caller. Okay, let's do it. Hello, caller. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing fine.
0: Hey, uh, did you happen to see um, General Barry McGaffrey? I think that's his name. No,
1: no. On
0: one of those. No, you probably don't want. I don't watch it. I just happen to see it. Yeah, And he said that, and I think is an honorable guy, I'm not picking on him or anything, that he, sh- I told, he said, if you're not an active military member, you don't wear your uniform to a meeting like that. <clears throat> and then another thing I want to say is according to military protocol, when you're, <laughs> a civilian does not have to call, you know, your rank like, what is he, Colonel or whatever.
1: That Lieutenant Colonel, Republican yeah.
0: Republican did not have to call him Colonel. That is not required.
1: No, he so didn't, but he, he just... It was
0: kind of like Grant a little bit, but I, I understand why he did it. That's two fun facts for you. Here's another one. One more is from 1946 to, I think, 2000, they did a study. One of them was Coronary Valley University. The other was, come off NPR, one of those, that... The United States interfered in elections 81 times. And I forget how many, many, I think like 40 or something, they changed the election outcome. So that's just a little bit of fun fact there for today. You have a good day. Goodbye.
1: Okay, goodbye. <laughs> we interfered? I mean, my God, we flat out staged coup d'etats. We are always, always backfired. Our CIA went in and knocked out a uh, democratically elected president of Iran. Do you remember that? No. And we put in place the Shah, a king. It's real democratic of us. That certainly showed our American values. Yeah, we did that. You know, you got to know history. That's right. And then the Shah did what Shahs do. Yeah. And the people rose up, and that brought the Ayatollah in. And that's where we are now. Yeah. I mean, the number of times that America has interfered. It's true. It's true, and I appreciate the the bit of uh, history, American history. So I did, I got back from the movie, the Mr. Rogers movie, um in time to still see over an hour of uh the debate and i watched it my son happened to be over and it put him out cold i mean cold uh if he didn't get up so early he would have still been on the couch this morning i know he was out cold done So um, in terms of it being uh, great stuff for insomniacs, but I found it sort of interesting. I I like seeing these people, one of whom, as far as we know, is going to carry the Democratic banner into this must-win election. And I understand our nervousness, and I find myself alternately liking and disliking various ones. I find myself, I mean, i you know who I liked last night? And I never like him. And I, I'm liking him more and more. You won't believe this. Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I don't know what that heart attack did to him, but I like him since the heart attack. He's more human. He's more apt to joke and... And he doesn't seem as angry. He just seems more affable. And I get a kick out of him. And I, you know, I I certainly agree mostly with his politics. Elizabeth Warren, I was less enamored of last night. Um, You know who I really liked last night? I liked Yang. (laughs) I liked Yang. Every time he talks, I'm like, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I even liked Tom Steyer last night. That's how I, I, I maybe it was coming out of the Mister Rogers movie. My it was all skewed, and I was I was more like skeptical of Buttigieg. I was like, "You're too good to be true, buddy boy." That's what I was thinking. I don't know if I. You're just too smart and too smooth. He is smart and smooth. But then again, they all sort of. I'll take any one of them. But Biden continued to be doddering to me. I'll take him, but doddering. He said something like, I come out of the black community. He said something like, I thought, what? What? And then he said something like, The only black woman ever elected to the Senate of the United States is in my camp. And I'm. Th- Two podia down is uh, Kamala Harris. Hello, that is a black woman. She is a senator. And then, what else did he do? When he was talking about women's um violence toward women he said <laughs> this was the one where i thought okay um i can't believe this he actually said in saying we've got to we've got to he says we've got to keep punching at this punching it punching he he i think he said punch 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 and he's talking about violence against women and i i thought <laughs> The gaff-prone Mr. Biden. That's no joke. And I just think he's our weakest weakest. And if Buttigieg doesn't start appealing to black people, he ain't go, he, Democrats will not win without the black vote. A big black vote will not win. So why would we pick somebody who has no support in the black community, at least at this point? I don't know. Um, I saw a piece, uh, again, this is Wall Street Journal, I think, today, That just curled my... It's curdled. Curdled my blood, right? (laughs) I I know it's not curled my blood. It could have been curled my hair. It boiled my blood. It didn't boil my blood. It made me cringe. Curdled. Curdled my blood. And it is... It's just a little story about the vapidness, the shallowness of some Americans. One of them is a woman named Stephanie Wallace. I know this because I'm looking at her name in print here. Says here, on a recent vacation in Bali, Stephanie Wallace paid for a private tour designed with one goal, to capture photos of her that would look amazing on Instagram. I was up at 4.30 in the morning, said Stephanie, doing my hair, doing my makeup. She brought along on her tour three outfits, different shoes, so that the tour guide who was taking her picture in various locations in Bali, that then she would put on her Instagram account, this is what she thinks a vacation is. And now there are people who make their money doing professional Instagram tours. People traveling to places, not to see the places, but to be seen in the places. And to take pictures, so they can, I guess, what have status among their friends. What? What? Some of the guys who do these tours have said because they they also tell people like we're standing here in front of this temple, which was built in so and so, and they start telling you the history of the place, and and he he came to notice that the people weren't listening to him at all. They just wanted to get on with, take my picture in front of it. I don't want to know about it. I just want to brag that I was there. And here's another woman who makes her living doing this. You can search and search and search for the perfect souvenir But ideally, your best gift is going to be memories. And these people think memories are a picture of them standing, posing in front of a place that they never bothered to really even look at or learn about. How's that a memory? Oh, here I am wearing, oh, I love that outfit. And we're at this, I don't know, it was a garden kind of a place, I'm not sure. And, oh, the light was just right, and I thought my hair looked fantastic. God! Oh, my God! What is wrong with people? The headline is, forget selfies. On vacation, you have to hire a pro. I'm going to puke. (sighs) Okay. What time is it? Ah. Okay. Okay. So there was that. Oh. Oh bit. Oh bit of the day. Dorothy Seymour Mills. Now. This is an interesting one. She died at the age of 91. I'm looking at a picture of her, and she's holding a baseball bat. Now, Dorothy Seymour was married to a guy named Harold Seymour, who had been her professor and uh, was quite a bit older than she. And uh, she was obviously his student, but they ended up marrying. She, throughout his career, by the way, he became famous. He became famous for writing a book called Baseball, the early years. It was published in 1960, and it was apparently the first time that anyone had bothered to take a scholarly look at the American, you know, sport of baseball. And so he was acclaimed, the hubby. A second volume appeared in 1971, and then another in 1990, and Harold Seymour was the toast of the town, lauded as a groundbreaking historian. Um... Washington Post book critics said this in 1990, For three decades, Harold Seymour has been not merely the most respected of the game's historians, but also the standard setter against whose works all have been weighed. Uh, he legitimized baseball as a subject for serious historical inquiry. Blah, 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 blah. He died in 1992 and his ashes were scattered in Doubleday Field in Cooperstown, New York, where the Baseball Hall of Fame is and where supposedly baseball was invented, right, in 1839. Abner Doubleday, yadda yaddy, yadda yeah, untrue. And that's one of the things he's credited with debunking because he did actual research and he found out that people had been playing bas- 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 baseball. Since the 18th century, even George Washington's soldiers played baseball at Valley Forge, just to keep warm. Okay, so we're talking, though, about his widow. Guess what? Turns out, she did almost all the work on those books. There are so many stories like this. There have been movies made about this, right? This kind of thing. Where a man takes credit as a great artist or a great historian or a great novelist, whatever it is, and it turns out that a woman, his wife, invariably, did the work. So after he died, his wife started stewing. She'd been stewing for some time because he would never acknowledge her work. Um, She wrote, my star has always been outshone by Seymour's, and I permitted this to happen. I even believed and told him that your work is more important than mine. Her husband, it turns out, hated doing research. Well, hello, you're supposedly this renowned historian? She did all the research. She traveled around the country, scarfing up all, I mean, going through libraries, the drudge work. She's the one who compiled thousands of note cards, writing outlines that found their way actually as she had written them into the books that he supposedly wrote. She even was the ty- she typed all his manuscripts, she edited them, she found the photographs that accompanied them, she did the correspondence, the indexing, and prepared the bibliographical material. In other words, she did everything! In 2010, in an interview with the New York Times, she said he just couldn't share credit. And I didn't say anything at the time because at that time, wives just didn't do that. He was 18 years older than she was. She said he thought himself very important. So it was only, it took a year after his death that word started leaking out about it. Um, Oxford University Press included her name as co-author on all three books. Um, And now it is known that you don't credit him. You can credit him, but you equally credit her. Uh, John Thorne, the official historian of Major League Baseball, wrote in a message to the Washington Post this. Their work was brilliant and original in its focus. If someone were to ask me what should be the first baseball book I should read to understand the history of this game, I would point them to the Seymours. classic All right. All right. I think that's it, right? Am I done? I'm done. I am so done. Okay, I'll go listen some more to I want Fiona Hill is going to really uh serve Trump up good, I think today. Um so whatever, enjoy it as much as you can and cuz I'm not sure it's going to amount to a as my mother would say, a hill of beans. Have a good one. I'll see you Monday.
0: Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at PGHCityPaper.com The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisement.